This is Dan Wharton Uncancelled. Let's go. No spin, no buyers, no censorship. I'm Dan Wharton tonight. Just one thing first, though, as I said in my digest on Thursday, exploring and deploring the country's increasingly woke police and the effect of decriminalisation of theft in the UK, we got further proof less than 24 hours later. Sadiq Khan's lawless London was the scene of mass looting on Friday evening in the city's shopping and tourist district. Just this morning, a man was stabbed to death in broad daylight outside a Korean restaurant just off Oxford Street in London. This carnage will only stop when the police get their priorities right. But all I'm going to say right now is, Lord help us. The despicable attack in New York State on Friday of Sir Salman Rushdie points to a much bigger problem in modern society, one that, as you know, I am determined to fight. It's a matter of freedom of speech itself now being under threat as the woke elite surrender to extremists terrified of being cancelled or offending a minority group. So as Rushdie lies in hospital, having been stabbed multiple times on Friday, it's worth remembering his words as a group of his contemporaries in 2015 protested against the staff of the French satirical magazine Charlie Hebdo being honoured with an award. Now, remember, just 12 months earlier, 12 of its staff were brutally killed in an Islamic terrorist attack because they had published apparent offensive material that, quote, intensifies the anti-Islamic sentiments already prevalent in the Western world. Well, Rushdie's response is just so much more pertinent after what happened to him, so I want to share it with you. He said... This issue has nothing to do with an oppressed and disadvantaged minority. It has everything to do with the battle against fanatical Islam, which is highly organised, well-funded, and which seeks to terrify us all Muslims, as well as non-Muslims, into a cowed silence. How brave is that man? A man who would not cower, no matter how many times Islamic extremists threatened his own life. A man who spent 10 years being hidden by the British government after Iranian leader Ayatollah Khamenei issued a fatwa against him following the 1988 publication of the Satanic Verses. But sadly, as the woke West, we have now cowered. It's widely accepted no major publishing company would have the balls to print the satanic verses today. How else can we explain society largely ignoring the Batley Grammar School teacher who still remains in hiding after losing his job a year ago for showing an image of the Prophet Muhammad in class? How else can we explain the despicable treatment of J.K. Rowling by her peers who have attempted to cancel her for standing up for biological reality. 
The same people who mocked her after being told following the Rushdie attack on Friday by Iran-supporting Islamist extremist Mir Asif Aziz, a political activist and student based in Pakistan, who is reported as tweeting about destroying Israel, and he tweeted her, don't worry, you are next. So it's now or never for this woke literary world to stand up for free speech. As I've written in a column for the Mail Online tonight, free speech is being eroded as the cancel culture mob bows to the external malevolent forces on a regular basis. What's most frustrating is they do so using the argument that they are promoting tolerance in society when, in fact, all they do, all they do, is encourage the sort of violence against Rushdie by empowering the likes of Iran. The constant threats are working. People are scared to offend. They'd rather turn on one of their own than risk being accused of transphobia or Islamophobia, which we know is a cardinal sin in Hollywood that will see you cancelled. But Rushdie's attack needs to be a moment of recalibration, starting with the full-throttled support of Rowling to express her views on gender without facing any consequence from her own peers. As Rushdie's son, Zafar, declared wisely after the brutal attack on his father, free speech is life itself. Free speech is the whole thing, the whole ball game. To respond now, my superstar panel, Daily Express columnist Carol Malone, journalist and broadcaster Sam Dowler, and former MEP, campaigner and political commentator Belinda DeLucy. Carol Malone, we have to protect free speech here, don't we? You know, it is, the, it is the cornerstone of our democracy. And incredibly, Salman Rushdie, even having been stabbed 15 times, is still not cowed, uh, which is incredible. But, you know, we have become a country where certain topics cannot be discussed mm. because we are cowed. And, and, and that is being aided by certain sections of the media. You saw the way that Rushdie's um, attack, the stabbing, was, was handled by the BBC for a start, who actually said no motive has yet been established. Oh, the guy, the guy who stabbed him is the guy who has, um, you know, sheer... Um, is sympathy with Shia extremists, with, the, with Iran's revolution. Yeah, the God. motive's there. So on the motive account. is completely there. And also the, the way The Guardian reported it said that the reasons for the savagery remain unclear. No, they don't. It's just certain seconds of the media will not say what it is. And any, it strikes me now that anyone out of line with what is, let's face it, a leftist orthodoxy is liable to have their lives ruined, their careers ruined, threatened with death. You know, and been kicked out of jobs, and it's, it happens every day. And we're not doing anything to stop it. And all this is being done in the name of diversity and inclusion. And, I, you know, when are we going to stand up to these people? When are we going to talk about radical Islam? When are we going to stop saying, oh, it's just one person? No, it isn't. It's a movement, exactly as Salman Rushdie said. Mm. And we do discuss it on this show, but I think, Belinda, the rest of the media have been cowed. I mean, look at the reaction to the Batley school teacher, virtually ignored. Well, they're Islamist apologists, because silence makes you complicit in this, this flourishing of Islamism we've seen in this country. I mean, just look how, under a Conservative government, we rejected Asia Bibi, the Christian in Pakistan, who was desperate to, for sanctuary in this country. And our government said, oh, well, no, we don't want to upset the Islamists in, the, in, in our country. We can't offer her sanctuary. Now, it is horrific how much that, uh, that these, these, this evil ideology has infiltrated our country. And it is hateful. It's hateful against... It's anti-Semitic, it's anti-Christian, it's homophobic. 
Islamophobic, but it is different from the Muslim faith. And the problem with the Lib left constantly saying you can't criticise Islamism because it's Islamophobic, you're, they're clumping together all the, the moderate Muslims yeah. in with this political, Second this word. evil political ideology. Mm. And second, I just want to make another mm. point. I've spent a lot of time in the Middle East. Mm. I'm, I've got incredibly close uh, friends with very conservative Muslim women, and we debate all the time about how weak the West is with Islamism. They say, why is the UK so frightened and naive and weak towards Islamism? They're like, if they were in Abu Dhabi, these Islamists, you'd never see them again. We don't tolerate it in our country. Why does the UK tolerate it in, in ours? Why, so do we, why do we tolerate all the stuff that's happening, Berlin? It's not just, it's not just Islamism. It's, why do we tolerate the stuff? Why, why do we let people get away with death threats on Twitter? Why did it take 13 hours mm -hmm. to take that tweet down, yeah. Jake? And initially, by the way, Rowling. they told J.K. Rowling, oh, none of our rules have been broken oh, here. Oh, really? oh, well, it's only yeah, a terrorist making a direct death threat. I think, I think the difference is here is, like, I think conflating um, what is going on and what's happened with Salman Rushdie with J.K. Rowling is absurd Why? to begin with. Because, obviously, obviously Salman Rushdie, this is, this is a different kettle of fish. Yeah, it's all, political ideology. Yes, but it's a different kettle of fish altogether. And he has, he has been stabbed. I, have, I know Zaf Rushdie. He's a friend of mine. And, obviously, it's terrifying. And I completely agree with everything you just said about, about that. But I think, like, dragging in J.K. Rowling into this and saying it's any kind of similarity. Well, she was dragged in because because an extremist, a terrorist extremist, made a direct death. I agree. I agree. In that, but but that has that wasn't that wasn't a trans person saying that. Wasn't that has nothing to do with a trans the fight with the trans community. It's very evident it was. No, but it's not. It is not similar at all. Yes. Yes, of course. But because what she said was, in my opinion, completely wrong and completely out of order. What was? And what what's what J.K. Rowling said in the past. What, did, what she said. She, can, she, conf she conflated, what she said? She what conflated she say? being a trans woman with being a sexual predator. And that's exactly what she no, did. She, and that's what? What? Yes, she did. Oh, yes, she did. Yes, she did. Many times, many times. She, she, she did she is a she did victim no, of she is sexual not a assault. Yes, that's got nothing to do with 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 her well, with her argument with trans example people. Where she conflated trans people with sexual offenders. All she even, said even is when that she was as a victim of sexual assault, she believes in the protection of safe spaces for yeah. women. And you're saying that that is her. My problem is that in the last in the last in the last in the last ten years there has been no. There has been no Stop change shouting, in the. You're you're, no, also, JK Rowling. If you talk over me, I will shout, Carol, Why because you were talking over me. What I'm, <laughs> what I'm saying is that. There has been no change since the Equalities Act in 2010 for trans people have been using the toilets for as, as much as they want since... And it's only in the last couple of years that it's become a huge problem and J.K. Rowling has piped up against so it. But this, think, well, I don't you, want to talk about J.K. Rowling. This is about, Salmon, so this is about think, Salmon Rushdie and it's a whole different kettle of fish. Well, I'm I, sorry, well, it I is. I don't think it is. No. I do not no, think it is. Neither. I think it is the intolerance of the woke brigade who will not stand up anymore for the freedom of speech of authors because that's all J.K. Rowling is, is asking for. That is not, that is not the same as what's happening to Salman Rushdie. Let me give you an example here. The chocolate author Joanne Harris, who was also the chairman of the Society of Authors, mocked J.K. Rowling after she received that death threat. Mm -hmm. She posted a facetious Twitter poll asking, fellow authors, have you ever received She's a death threat, well, credible or otherwise? Yes, hell yes, no, never. Show me, damn it. Now, she later did it delete the tweet and admitted she had got the tone wrong. But that is the woman who is meant to be standing up to protect mm. authors, mocking J.K. Rowling being threatened by a terrorist. And we should put it, we should actually put it in the, the thing. J.K. Rowling was also... There were, there were trans activists who were trying to get her sacked from her publishers because mm. they said she was trans. Yes. They were trying to ruin her career. Yes. Yeah. Trying yes. to get and rid so of her exactly. publishers. Exactly. And so, so where, Sam, where, Sam, this 
relates completely to Salman Rushdie, is that when the Satanic Verses was published in the late 80s, what did the literary community do? They rallied around. Mm. They hosted mm. events where they yeah. read Salman Rushdie's book on stage, knowing full well that they could be the target of terrorists. Bookshops were actually it, firebombed because they refused not to stop the Satanic Verses. And Sam, a translator, the Japanese translator of the Satanic Verses was brutally murdered because he had gone through with his work. Now, where is that solidarity around J.K. Rowling? Because, because they're not on the same support. ballpark. You can't see the satanic verses on the same ballpark as the Goblet of Fire. Don't be ridiculous. It's not, it's not, it's not about that. What? It's about saying that J.K. Rowling yes. has a right to a controversial position, although personally I don't does. think it's controversial at all. And she all, does have a right just to say as that. Salman Rushdie yeah, does. The death, the death threats are not in the same vein, uh, and that is the whole point. Oh, friends, 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 of my, friends of mine on Twitter have had death threats up the wazoo for just appearing on a reality show. It's not the same. Is there are certain groups in this society that are ring-fenced from scrutiny, from criticism. Mm. They've yeah. been given special privileges, special rights above everyone else. One group is Islamists and one group is trans uh, extremists. extremists. And you were saying they, and are, they, are, and you were saying they are on the it, same no, level. Wait, That's finish. ridiculous. They are political, they're ideologies that you cannot dissent from uh, or otherwise you say, face consequences. This has happened under our government. So when they tweet out all this free speech rubbish, they are hypocrites. They have let us down. They have created this stifling Show me how many people have been murdered out. by trans extremists. Tell me, show, show me, show me the, show me the statistics, no, I, well, please. I'll tell you, oh, no, I, I would love to hear them. There are lots of things being threatened by trans extremists. Right, that's not the same women thing. In prison, oh, women you can't say someone was getting stabbed I, the I'm, same I'm as trans saying, women in sport. It's completely Sam, different. But, but Sam, trans extremists have tried to cancel J.K. Rowling. You're trying to conflate them with Islamist extremists, well, and that's not well, the I'm same. The person who conflated it was the Salman Rushdie mm. hater who told J.K. Rowling that she would be next. Yeah, but that's one, that's one person in Pakistan. That's ridiculous. Can, can, can I just say something to that? You shout, you, I just wish you'd stop shouting. What, he's, we're not conflating the seriousness of each problem. What we're trying to say, it's all involved with our inability now as a society to say what we think and feel mm. about certain subjects. I agree. We're not saying one threat is greater than the other. We're just saying this is about a society that now you cannot discuss certain things without mm. dire consequences. Mm. We're not saying they're the same. But dire consequences but getting stabbed, it's different. But they are the same in the sense that we're not allowed to speak well, well, our Sam, truth. I think you'll actually find that J.K. Rowling now has 24-hour security yeah. because the threats yeah. against her I agree. are so she should, serious. She should, she so, should so, do. So I'm sorry, I, I really feel strongly that the intolerant left but where were the, where stop, were they and you're one of them tonight you need to stop belittling these threats against where, 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 where as, was the security a, when the, when the people when the when the trans when the drag queens turned up wasn't it a few wasn't it three drag queens that turned up and were like oh jk running lives here where was the 24 hour security then because that wasn't a real threat that wasn't a real threat compared to this this is the real threat okay well let's... i don't know how you can say that you don't know what the real threat is there could be some well, nor, wait, do wait for her nor do you nor do you carol but that's why she has 24-hour security. And so she but should. Most importantly, nor, nor do you. Mm. And you can't, you can't belittle one threat against yeah. one woman and say the only one against Salman Rushdie counts, because they yeah. both count. Because what this is about, actually, is the tyranny of 
woke extremists trying to shut down free debate in the literary exactly. world. And it happens with J.K. Rowling because you've seen all of these folks say, oh, she shouldn't have said it, this is her own fault, she shouldn't have got involved in the trans uh, war. And you see it with Rushdie. Lots of apologists uh, for the Iran regime over the past 10 years have started to say things like, oh, Rushdie was wrong, he offended this group of people, I wouldn't have the satanic verses in my house. And that is why I'm not conflating the two things. The two things are intrinsically linked. But fascinating debate. Belinda Lucy, Sam Dowler, Carol Malone, my superstar panel, and they are here all evening. Nigel Farage and Neil Oliver, both still to come this hour. But first, it's time for The Clash. Now, the anti-Boris brigade has found yet another way to criticise him, this time for simply taking a well-deserved break with his family. In a viral video released over the weekend, the outgoing PM was filmed shopping for groceries with his wife Carrie while vacationing in Greece, prompting lefty loudmouths, the MSM and Labour, to rage at the so-called one big party he's supposedly enjoying during the cost of living crisis. However, they were rather quiet, weren't they, about Keir Starmer's holiday in Mallorca, which he has refused to apologise for since touching down. You have been criticised for your response to this current crisis, for not being around, in fact, being away on holiday yourself just last week. While people like Gordon Brown and Davey were outlining ideas about this current crisis, um, should you have been here? Should you have spoken sooner? Um, I've got a very important job as leader of the Labour Party, leader of the opposition, but I've also got another job that's really important, and that is I'm a dad. Um, and I'm not going to apologise for going on holiday with my wife and kids. It's the first time we've had a, a real holiday for about three years. So um, I've been working on this for the best part of two months, including actually when I was on holiday. Um, so this work started a long time ago. But as I say, I'm also a dad um, and um, I'm not going to apologise for going on holiday with my wife and kids. Now, are you ready for this? I agree with Keir Starmer. No politician. Regardless of where they fall on the spectrum, should have to apologise for taking some well-needed downtime. I understand the optics. And, of course, if there was a terrorist attack or an outbreak of war, our leaders should be expected to fly home and deal with the aftermath. But we have to be careful about what we demand of our governors during a crisis. They've already battled for months. And, really, there's no end in sight to the current nightmare. However, uh, the big question is, do you agree with me? How do you feel? Is it wrong to criticise politicians for going on holiday? Dan at GBNews.UK. Tweet me at GBNews. Uh, vote in our poll too. The results shortly. But giving their take, I'm joined by former Conservative Minister Edwina Curry, the Associate Curry. Editor for the Daily Mirror, Kevin Maguire, and former Apprentice star Bushra Sheikh. Now, Bushra, I think you disagree with me on this. Hiya, Dan. Yeah, you disagree. Yeah, you disagree. Yeah. Um, look, come on. At the end of the day, they have to lead by example. The country's in a crisis. We have inflation. We have cost of living. Everything's going up. Why do they get a different rule? They have to lead by example. People are not going to respect them. It's ludicrous. If you have, if you're in a position of governance, in political governance, and you are leading and you are a spokesperson, Knowing what's going on around you, certainly you have to set the example. I mean, this is this is just awful for me. Edwina Curry, isn't the issue is if we chain politicians to their desk 24-7, they're not actually going to be recharged and regenerated uh, in order to do their job. As Starmer suggested, their family may have packed their bags by that point because they won't put up with it anymore. It doesn't feel very balanced, that approach. 
Oh, absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right. And you should bear in mind uh, a couple of other points. Uh, one is that uh, many people who go into politics are relatively bonkers. Now, if they're not when they start, they often are after a few years in. And if they did not go on holiday, if they never achieved any kind of work-life balance, uh, then they would be, you know, completely off the wall. It's a very good thing indeed to find yourself in the same queues in the airport as everybody else. It's a very good thing indeed to find yourself, as I did last week, in Amsterdam, realising that actually Amsterdam is very short of stuff and there are adverts everywhere and that our problems at home are not exclusive to the United Kingdom and nor are they caused by Brexit. Uh, but there's another point, this idea that somehow, you know, politicians will do things and everything will be better. I think that's a nonsense. I think the answer to many, many issues is actually if politicians stay, take a step back and we all behave as responsible and sensible people. For example, if you want to tackle the cost of living crisis, you buy more of the cheap stuff and less of the more expensive stuff. And that in itself will help to change the pattern of prices. The idea that politicians have to be on the job all the time, and if they're not on the job, the problems have no answers, is absolutely not true. So, um, well, as you can see, Boris has actually come home. He's in my... Uh, He's in my living room here. I know. Tweena, you've know, always got him near you. Good for them. Good for them. <laughs> I loved that. You've always got him near you, Tweena. Uh, Busha, how do you how do you respond to that? Uh, honestly, I don't know. That for me just doesn't make any sense. I feel like this work-life balance that they talk about, I get that. But do you know what? When you put yourself forward in government and you're a politician, you've got to understand that this is sacrificial culture at the end of the day. You've got to understand what you're going in for, you have to sacrifice, and you've got to know and consider what's happening in the UK. You cannot just continue your life as normal. That is not on. You are leading by example. That is the end of it. And right now, people just have no respect, nor do they have any faith in any political party right now. And they should be doing their best to what, what, what things have they done for people right now? With the crisis, okay, well, let me bring Kevin Maguire in. Kevin, uh, you look like you've got a great tan on. Have you been on holiday? Uh, not yet, actually, uh, but I will <laughs> go on holiday. Uh, Dan, no, it's, look, it's all the pollution in the London air. That's why I've got this, uh, this tan. But, uh, of course, so where do you stand course, on this one? Uh, of course, politicians are entitled and should go on holiday like anybody else. But there's a time and a place. And if you're Boris Johnson having your second holiday in August, look, I'm quite looking forward to in September having a very long holiday. He doesn't dress very well on holiday, does he? He looks like he's just come out of the office again. But nevertheless, he's gone on his second holiday in August when he wanted to stay on as Prime Minister. He's getting the pay, he's getting the perks, he's still got checkers, but he's not doing the job. Keir Starmer isn't the Prime Minister, so it's a slightly different case, but he will privately concede, I'm sure, he paid a political price for allowing Ed David, a Liberal Democrat leader, Martin Lewis, the money-saving expert, and Gordon Brown, one of his predecessors, all make the running last week on how you deal with the energy problem. Now, any, anyone who says, oh, you can go on holiday, stay on holiday, I'll just mention two words, two words, and they are Dominic and Rob, because about a year ago, mm. he stayed on his sun lounger when Kabul was collapsing and the Taliban were taking over. And that, that was just 
an example. But that yeah, was a crisis, wasn't change. it? I've had, a, I've had a drop holidays. We're going to go to Vietnam. Brexit got in the way. And then another time, don't get your violin out. I was going to go, I was going to go <laughs> cycling in Spain, but I can't now because the Tories have got a leadership Paul Maguire, Paul Maguire, our heart breaks for you, Kevin. But look, Edwina, isn't uh, Kevin's point about Boris? I mean, personally, I think Boris needs a break, but a lot of folks say to Edwina, could he not have just waited until September? I must say, uh, our other commentators in the clash here are demonstrating why it's a very good idea indeed not to be working a 90-hour week, week in, week out, month in, month out, because you do actually end up just slightly bonkers, naming no names. They just happen to be on screen at the same time as I am. Um, Boris has probably got to the kind of slap-happy bit of, of his life where he's thinking, what the hell, you know, uh, September the 5th, I'm no longer prime minister. I've done my utmost. Uh, they wouldn't accept some of the other things I was trying to do. And, um, and that's it. Um, maybe he should go and have a holiday in Ukraine one of these days. He's certainly been painted in a huge mural on a wall in uh, the town where uh, President Zelensky of Ukraine uh, grew up. So he's obviously very popular somewhere. And, um, yeah, they have very nice beaches in Ukraine. Just mind the mines. <laughs> that was the former Conservative Minister, Edwina Curry, Associate Editor for the Daily Mirror, Kevin McGuire, and former Apprentice Star Bush for Shake. Thank you all. So who do you agree with? Is it wrong to criticise politicians for going on holiday? From Julia on Twitter, for God's sake, it's summer recess. They're entitled to have a holiday, despite the fact they're all entirely useless. Sebastian says, they can have a holiday when there's no problems left in the UK. And from Sean, I don't condemn any politician taking a holiday, not because of how hard they've worked in Parliament, but because they want to spend time with their family. And your verdict is now, and find this really fascinating, it's completely split down the middle. 52% of you agree that it's wrong to criticise politicians for going on holiday. 48% of you say we're absolutely right to criticise them. Neil Oliver is coming up next, but it's time now for What the Farage. And while everyone was no doubt lapping up another beautiful weekend of sunshine, perfect weather has given illegal migrants the crossing, uh, crossing the channel and dinghies the green light to continue their dangerous escapades. Astonishingly, more than 20,000 people have made the journey to England in small boats this year, with 2,600 arriving so far this month alone. By this point last year, just over 11,300 crossings had been made. So we're now swiftly hurtling towards breaking the all-time record for channel crossings of 28,526 set last year. A daily record of 1,185 was also set last November. So, Nigel Farage, almost 15,000 of this year's migrant intake arrived after Brittany Patel announced the Rwanda policy in April. Planes now unlikely to take off until October. So, do you think there's a chance that the left and the ECHR have actually pushed migrants into the hands of opportunistic people traffickers? Oh, without doubt. Yes, of course. And that's been going on for a very, very long time. But, you know, we need Dan to stop pointing the finger elsewhere. Stop blaming the French. Stop blaming unnamed judges in the European Court in Strasbourg. Stop blaming everybody else. Stop even blaming the criminal gangs. Let's start blaming ourselves. You know, Boris Johnson announced this policy, if you remember, back in April of this year. Since then, 15,000 have come. Plan number one, Rwanda. Total failure. Zero people have been sent so far, and nobody will be sent in October. Plan number two, 
Big camps at places like Linton on Ouse. That's now been scrapped. And by the way, plan number three. Remember the big one. The Royal Navy will be in the English Channel. Breaking news in the last 10 minutes. The Telegraph have broken it. From the end of the year, the Royal Navy will not be in the Channel because their presence there has served no purpose. Failure, failure, failure. So we ourselves have to grip this problem. There is a farms whether it's the so-called turkish barber shops you know we've got a massive massive problem we're encouraging people to come so yes of course we play into the hands of what we might call the bad dudes but it's our fault it rests entirely in westminster and nigel have you seen anything have you seen anything from truss or sunak that makes you think they have a plan that might work they don't even want to talk about it. Too awkward, too embarrassing, too difficult. The solutions are clear. The man who had the plan that worked was a fellow called Tony Abbott, former Australian Prime Minister. I'll have him on the show on GB News tomorrow, and we, of course, will talk about this issue. Neither of them will do anything to change this. The only minor victory this year was the National Crime Agency, cooperating with other police forces did arrest 39 people. It did lead to fewer coming in July than I'd anticipated, but be in no doubt. You know, we're at 20,000. By the end of the year, it could be 50,000. It could be 60,000. Who knows? Hotels filling up all over the country, public anger rising. And whilst it's true that Keir Starmer has no answer to this whatsoever, the point, political point here, is that Brexit and the 2019 Tory majority were on the back of one very big key policy, taking back control of our borders, and we're being made to look an international laughingstock. And that's the thing about Tony Abbott. I mean, I can't wait for that interview tomorrow night, Nigel, because it's going to be fascinating to see uh, how he reacts to the lack of action here in the UK. Because the point about Abbott, and look, I, I understand how much flack he got. I understand how the international community mm. turned on him. He didn't care because he knew that the only way he could stay prime minister was to stop the boats. And guess what? He stopped the boats. So surely yes. Truss is going to have to realise she needs to learn from him. Well, we've been hearing this ever since 2019, endlessly from Priti Patel, from Boris Johnson. The fact is none of them have got the guts. It's rather like Brexit. None of them wanted to leave the European Union. I mean, have we forgotten? Whenever I challenged them in years gone by, oh, we're going to reform it, we're going to change it, we're going to have a conversation. In the end, they were forced into Brexit against their will. Be in the doubt about that. And now we're facing Brexit 2.0, which is leaving the ECHR and recognising that the definitions of a refugee go back to 1951 with the United Nations on our hopelessly, completely out of date in a 21st century world. And you will hear plenty from Truss about negotiations and about reform, but unless she feels it will cost her the next general election, she will do nothing. But, Nigel, it might. I mean, the point is, it might. I mean, is there an opportunity uh, for the party, which I believe <coughs> you remain a chair of, the former Brexit party, now Reform mm. UK? I mean... Mm. Does this give your party a chance at the next election? Because 
This is an issue, especially in the red wall seats, that could mm. determine a lot of voters' uh, minds. Well, I mean, this is an issue about fairness. This is this is an issue, yeah. you know, about what is reasonable and what is not. This is an issue about a social wait, housing waiting list now of over one million people. It's an issue, by the way, about legal immigrants for whom now getting into the UK, becoming a citizen, is a very onerous, expensive and time-consuming business. By the way, as it should be. Getting a British passport, living here, should be a prize. It shouldn't be something that's just given out willy-nilly. So, yes, who knows? Maybe reform. And by the way, I have no executive position in it. I'm just the honorary president. I've been kicked upstairs with a bottle of brandy. (laughs) Nice. Which is where I like to be, obviously. (laughs) um, No, it is an opportunity. But the real opportunity, Dan, the real opportunity would be if Liz Truss can show us that actually she really is a leader in a different class to anybody we've seen in the Conservative Party since Margaret Thatcher. Now, you know, I will very, very happily, publicly scream from the rooftops my praise and admiration if she shows us she can do this. Thus far, in this electoral campaign, I've seen nothing, and I mean nothing, that tells me she will. Well, the first thing she has to do is commit to leaving the ECHR. I'd like to see more pressure put on her on that front, because, of course, Suella Braverman did commit to do that during her campaign. So it's possible, and especially if Braverman, if you believe the Westminster whispers, could be the next Home Secretary. So I think... uh, there are opportunities, aren't there, Nigel? There's still more of these yeah. hustings here at GB News. We're hosting one on Friday night in Manchester. Ask about the channel crisis. Try and es- extract some demands from trust on this. It's important. Yeah, I, I, I mean, look, you know, the truth of it is, on this crucial issue, you won't get much from the BBC, you won't no. get much from Sky, you'll get nothing from ITV whatsoever. And if I hear the Today programme one more time, one more time, talk to me about poor, desperate people crossing the channel when these gangs of young Albanians are coming in uh, to work in, how, how can I put it, parts of the economy that are not strictly legal. Um, I just think I'm going to scream. Uh, no, actually, on this issue, on this issue, GB News has led the way. We've broken the news. We yeah. were the ones that first broke the Albanian story. You know, we yeah. were the ones with this, and then others, Richard Tice in particular, did more. But but if you want to keep abreast of this, come to GB News, and it's us, and it's our listenership, and it's the fact that newspapers now pick up on the stories that we break on this subject. That's where the pressure is coming from, and I'm absolutely determined Uh, to make that pressure, you know, by the time Liz Truss gets into Downing Street, to make sure she understands, yes, of course, the cost of living crisis is very, very serious. But you know what? Through overpopulation, through lack of border controls, not getting a GP appointment matters, not getting council housing matters, not getting your kid into a local primary school because there are too many people now in the area matters. This is actually affecting our quality of life, our way of life, in the most amazing way. And a final point, if I may, Mm. through both legal and illegal immigration, the population of our country has risen by 8 million since 2002. I mean, can you even believe it? 8 million. This is becoming, for many people in many parts of the UK, 
this is becoming an unrecognisable country and local community for those millions. And nearly all of that increase is because of the way we've dealt or not dealt with our borders. And people know that, they understand that. It is an absolutely fundamental issue. No one in Westminster ever even wants to talk about it. And uh, tell you what, no, but we will. it's one thing this TV channel must go on doing. Indeed. And Nigel Farage, that will be a must-watch interview with the former Australian Prime Minister Tony Abbott on your show tomorrow night from 7 o'clock. Tomorrow's newspaper front page is coming up. But first, Neil Oliver is tonight's outsider. And it's safe to say the great man has returned from his two-week holiday with a characteristic bang. Here's his monologue, uh, viewed online by over two million people so far. It's enraged all the usual suspects, all the right people seen him trend all over Twitter. Watch. Every passing day, it becomes more and more obvious to me that we are no longer being treated as individuals entitled to try and make the most of our lives, but as a barn full of battery hens, just another product to be bought and sold sold down the river, then the solution to the problem might be to turn your point of view through 180 degrees and accept, however unwillingly that we are, how best to put this, being taken for a ride. Neil Oliver, what's so fascinating to me is how many people in the elite don't want you pointing that out. What's been your... Uh, take on the astonishing reaction, Neil, to what was a brilliant monologue? Well, oh, thanks, Dan. Uh, well, I think I'm simply saying out loud what a lot of people in the country and further afield, there's reaction coming from all over the world, what people want to see, would, would want to see if they had the opportunity or the platform. And, you know, you and I, we, we have that opportunity to, to air our opinions. And I think it chimed this, this week, what I said on Saturday night, I think just chimed with, with a lot of people. Um, and, and, and as you say, it, it reached a lot of, a lot of ears. Uh, and at the same time, yes, it, it, uh, it kicked up a lot of, of controversy. But then that's also inevitable because, as they say, you know, you get flack over the target. And uh, I think I was saying those things that some people don't want said out loud. Uh, I think it's absolutely fascinating that you know, I'm often I'm often characterised in this context as as somebody of the of the far right. I'm I'm, I'm described as a, a far right extremist, which I find fascinating because I haven't moved. My my political position hasn't changed in the last well many years, but something else has slipped around me. Now I find it fascinating that that those who were perhaps the self-described left. Uh, and who enjoyed the idea, I think, that they were the disruptors, that they were the ones holding establishment to account, that, that you know they were the uh, you know the people uh, you know sticking it to the man. But the last couple of years have revealed so many of those people for what they are, which is would-be authoritarians and totalitarians. That desire that they had always had, long had, to tell other people what to do. Uh, to take control of other people's lives was suddenly laid bare. And ironically, it's people like me, and I suspect people like you, uh, who, who are, who maybe you would describe us as small-c conservative, I don't know, but people who basically just want to be left alone to get on with our lives without perpetual and ever-increasing 
interference from the state. And so people like us, maybe the uncool kids, have, have inadvertently found ourselves to be the rebels in yeah. all of this. And I think it's been very painful for the for the left or, or what used to be the left to find themselves revealed as the, you know, as the, the the totalitarians, the authoritarians in waiting. And when someone like me stands up and says, enough's enough, get out of my face, leave us alone. And furthermore, you know, don't uh, don't talk nonsense. Don't don't t uh, invite me to tie myself up, tie myself up in a knot, trying to understand what's going on. It's fairly obvious that things are breaking down because that's what's supposed to happen. Crisis in the channel, uh, you, you know, the climate crisis and the and whatever and the response to it. What's happening with with the economy? Uh, what's happening with spiking energy? It's, it's not down to incompetence. These things are happening because they're supposed to happen. We're all being put on edge and kept on edge because it's in the interests oh, of yes. those that are just in the business of, yeah. the, you know, they're aiding and abetting this massive wealth transfer that's been going on. It's to our detriment and it's to, it's to the betterment and the enrichment of the elite. Well, Neil, that's what I wanted to come to next, actually, because we warned of so much of what is now happening in 2020. I mean, I remember listening to you throughout 2020, warning so much of this. So, Neil, how much of what's going on is now sinister? I think it's all sinister. I think there, I think there are plans to, whatever you want to call it, Great Reset, the New World Order, whatever, those of us that were warning about it and 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 at least airing the possibility that that was what was going on one two years ago, and we were just roundly ridiculed for it, and we still are dismissed as conspiracy theorists. But anybody who looks on at what's happening now and doesn't join up the dots, you know, doesn't see the bright constellation in the sky, it's it's glaringly obvious that what is going on is deliberate. You know, it, we're long past the point where people can say that a uh, you know, cost of living crisis, absolute nonsense. It's a cost of lockdown crisis. Yeah. Which was predicted. It was predicted. Yes, I mean, that was a, those were decisions that were taken. And those decisions having been taken, they were being pointed out by people like me, by people like you, and scores of other people saying that this will go in only one direction. This is just a disaster waiting to happen. And long past the point when you could excuse it with any kind of incompetence or any kind of desire to take control of a pandemic, so-called, it was apparent that what was being done was the dismantling, the, dis the deliberate dismantling of so much that we have, uh, you know, that the, the, our ancestors have handed down to us, the structures of society were being are being deliberately taken apart, and it's it's all about uh, making sure that the the most of us, you and me and the and the rest of the ordinary population have less, have access to less energy. You know, we don't fly. We we our diet is reorganised so that we eat what we are told. And at the same time, the, the elite and the rich will carry on as they have always done. The, the, the rich and the powerful are doing what they've always done, which is making sure that they have more of the good stuff and us below the castle walls have less of everything. None of it's accidental. None of it's incompetence. It's a, it's a well-oiled plan that's been a long time in the preparation. Now it's being executed. And unless and until enough of us stand up and say, we can see what you're doing, we know what you're about, Pack it in, you know, get, get back in your box, because we are the people. We are the majority. We are the billions. This is our planet. These are our countries. We will live our lives as we see fit and just stop trying to tell us what to do.
Neil Oliver, you're such an important voice. It is so great to have you back. We missed you. Thanks, Dan. Tomorrow's news tonight now in our media buzz. First front pages are in. Let's go straight to the Metro, which leads with the trial of former Manchester City uh, player Benjamin Mendy, accused of raping woman at his home in Cheshire between October 2018 and 2021. A court heard he trapped young women in panic rooms so he could attack them. The trial continues and Mendy denies all charges against him. The Daily Star also covers Mendy's trial, although this is what I love most, actually. The paper poking fun at Harry and Meghan's return to Britain next month for a series of charity events with the headline, publicity shy couple announced trip to the UK. Haven't we all suffered enough? I know, uh, you could say this was a trip uh, by no popular demand whatsoever. Uh, let's go to the Daily Mirror now, though, which leads with the heartbreaking reality of the energy bills crisis with the story of a dying mum who can't afford to make memories with her children. 43-year-old Tammy Prescott was diagnosed with stomach cancer in September last year and says she and her family have no funds left after utility payments to complete a modest bucket list of a final holiday, a new garden and a family Christmas experience. Goodness me, that's just heartbreaking story, isn't it? Uh, let's get to my superstar panel. Now back with me, Star Daily Express columnist Carol Malone, the journalist and broadcaster Sam Dowler and the former MEP campaigner and political commentator Belinda DeLucy. It's rare to see uh, Labour present actual policy rather than just shouting from the sidelines, but they've given it a crack today with a £29 billion plan to help Brits with the energy crisis. Now, in the plan, which has been slapped down as an illusion by some economists, Cormac Keir says he would freeze energy bills for six months by keeping the price cap at its current level of £1,971. To do that, he'd scrap the £400 government handouts all households are set to receive off their bills this winter, saving $14 billion. He'd also lower government interest payments on debt by reducing inflation, saving $7 billion. And Starmer reckons he'd pocket another $8 billion by backdating May's windfall tax on energy firms to January. Starmer was boisterous in his delivery of the fag packet plan when selling it to the media this morning. I'm going to pay for it by extending the windfall tax on oil and gas companies in the North Sea who've made much bigger profits than they expected, but also because our proposal, which is to prevent those energy prices going, uh, increases going forward, will also dampen inflation and therefore the money that would otherwise be paid on our debt because inflation is so high would not have to be paid. So that's how we'll pay for it. But despite the hubris, Starmer sparked warnings from financial experts that once again suggested Labour really do specialise in financial fairy tales. In fact, his plan was compared to the costly and damaging furlough scheme during COVID, which is partly why we are suffering with sky-high inflation and economic turmoil right now, by the way. So Paul Johnson, director of the Institute for Fiscal Studies, said Labour's own analysis suggests it would cost £30 billion just for six months, but they'd do it for at least £60 billion, the same cost of furlough. That's a large amount of money and a very expensive scheme. Look, I understand people are terrified, quite rightly, about paying their energy bills and we need a swift solution. But the answer isn't to launch another scheme from the socialist playbook with the same eye-watering budget as furlough. Carol Malone, I don't think we can sip, simply 
kick the can down the road again. You know, this is typical of Starmer. He's just come back from his holidays. He needs to grab a little bit of a headline. So what does he do? He exploits the terror of the people in this country by saying he has the solution to, to their woes. I, I, one reporter I read today said three out of four Tories support this. Not just Tories would support this on the face of it. Everyone would support it if they thought their bills weren't going to go up another penny from now. However, the Institute of Fiscal Studies, that I, which I mm. trust a lot more than I trust mm. Keir Starmer, has said this will increase inflation, it will increase taxes, it will cost £60 billion, probably more than the furlough scheme, which is what that costs. <clears throat> and I just, I just think, you know, opposition leaders are... Sometimes they're incredibly irresponsible. You know, they're playing on people's fears now and exploiting them by saying, oh, hey, we have the solution, we're not in power. But, you know, they never have to take responsibility for any of the policies that they put forward. What this will do, however, which I think is a good thing, this will force both Truss and Sunak to declare what their plans to help people are going to be because they can't let him take any more of the limelight with this nonsense. People will want to believe what he says, but the Institute of Fiscal Studies like I say, which I believe, they are saying this is... They've said fantasy. They said it's an illusion, that this, this plan he's laid out. So, But it's, it, I, it makes me cross when opposition leaders do this in times of deep crisis. Sam Daly, you love this plan. Well, I mean, who wouldn't love this plan? At the end of the day, um, at the moment, we are suffering nonsense from Liz Truss and from Rishi Sunak, who are no nobody's saying anything about it that, of any value until Keir Starmer has come across today and set an actual workable plan. Of course, everyone's going to... Of course, three out of four Tories. And like Carol just said, you know, everybody would, would assume that this would be great. But at the same... But do you think same... spending £30 billion every six months is genuinely workable? I think... That's a genuine I... question. Yeah, no, but I, I think this should be treated almost in the same vein as the pandemic, uh, when suddenly Rishi was, you know... So was, when was does it end? The... Well, who, who knows? So we, don't pay so, for it. So we, don't, we spend £30 know, billion but, pounds every six but months. He did, but he already said that he would, he would use a, um, a, a, a windfall tax on the energy companies. So at the moment, the energy companies are making all the money, so surely they're the that should pay should pay for this, and which is what he said. But anyway, it doesn't even matter. He's not in power, so there's nothing's going to happen about it. There's no general election, so he can't he can't action this plan. But I agree with Carol again, surprisingly. There's that it's going to push Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak to say something, anything about it, other than, other than just trying just, to uh, just trying to appeal to the base Conservative Party who are going to vote them in. Just before Belinda comes in, it's, it's, just. Sorry, Belinda. The Institute of Fiscal Studies also said that the, this government was going to have to find an extra... 12 Because of inflation and rising prices, the government was going to have to spend an extra... Twelve billion to actually fund what they promised back in May, mm. which is which, which is another twelve billion on top of anything else. So it's terrifying. Sorry, but no, doesn't this just show there how much the political compass has changed in this country, really? Because even a Labour leader just a few years ago who announced a plan like this, uh, Corbyn, for example, would be dismissed by everyone in mm. politics as highly irresponsible, because this isn't just big spending. This is break-the-bank irresponsible. Yeah, yeah. This kind of socialism that Keir and his comrades uh, are suggesting uh, reminds me of that child catch from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang with all the <laughs> glistening lollipops oh, and the beautiful... Come, come, my little children, into my British... Have these lolly-free today, <laughs> children, lollipops. And then you suddenly get there and it's well, you barren, sounded, You sounded evil death. there. <laughs> you really 
it doing? is. It's all these promises. It's easy to promise things in opposition. That's what Keir is doing. Finally, the, the handle on his side has wound him up to an idea after two years, two and a half years. Um, but sadly, it's not going to work because the big, big companies, they get taxed overseas. Their majority of the profits from Shell and BP are all like in America. So they're not the ones that are going to be taxed. It's the small companies in the North Sea mm. that are already taxed 65%. are going to be taxed mm. even more. They're going to leave. And more than ever, we need more supply, not just a delay of the in inevitable. So once mm. again, I think mm. Kira's is all sweeties and, and glistening little Father Christmas sack and you're going to open it up and there'll be <laughs> nothing there. Sam? <laughs> <laughs> What a terrifying analogy. <laughs> um, <laughs> Socialism for and you. And don't talk is. about the it's North exactly Sea because I think Rebecca Vardy's phone is in there as well. <laughs> um, but I, I, I think, I think, as I just said, I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's not in power. But you know, if there was a general election, if a general election was called after, after the, um, you know, the leader was announced, then. You know, this is the sort of thing that would win the election for him, yeah, but, 100 percent. Because but it, like he's saying what we want to see, and there's an actionable plan. That's what he's saying. It's not I mean, Carol, from it's a not. political point of view, though, are you not concerned by what Sam's saying? Because Starmer has stolen the media agenda. Uh, he has like said, he is filling a vacuum, and this is a popular. He's policy. come back from his holidays, and he realizes that you know, you know that the you know what's hit the fan, and so he's capitalized on it. But while, while he's also having a go at the Tories and trying to capitalize on this, he's capitalizing on people's fear. People in this country are terrified. Mm. They are, you know, I was talking to some pensioners the other week, and they were telling me that they have two hundred and fifty quid a week, and they are living in fear. One pensioner said to me she was staying in bed longer every day, so she didn't have to cook, so she didn't have. To to switch a light on. I mean, already they're, they're in a state of terror, and all this is doing is playing. Can't blame them. Keir Summer for that, so, though. No, but I can blame Keir Stogger for, 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 for giving exploiting them hope. Giving them hope, their fears. Perhaps? But you know, when you grab, this is not hope. This, this is, this is grabbing That's a headline with no substantive or workable it's also policy at the bottom. Excusing the government for ever having to take responsibility for yes. mucking yes. up. Oh, here's yes. the bogeyman. Mm. It's yes. the, the energy companies haven't done anything wrong, and they also yes. need to, to hold on to some profits because there are times where they're Profits go right down through the floor, yeah. and they need to compensate. But where the current for it. government there is no bogeyman other than bad planning from mm. the government, perhaps a bit of mm. Putin. So no yeah. one we're because, not to blame because the we don't have energy independence. Exactly. And, and look at that video I played last week of Nick Clegg talking in 2011. Oh, nuclear is so irresponsible. None of this power would come online until 2021, 2022. No That's kidding. Now. That's yeah. what you're meant to do as Deputy Prime Minister. Plan for the future, Nick Clegg. <laughs> now, for an utterly, utterly bonkers news story, I've been railing against uh, the mad push to get us eating insects for quite some time now, and I think this latest attempt really takes the cake. Belgian scientists are now using dead insect oh fat to replace God. good old dairy butter, all in the name of combating, wait for it, of course, climate change. <laughs> they soak insects in water and mush them with a blender before strainers separate the gunk into a butter-like substance <laughs> which they use to bake with. The boffins tried to butter the public up with free-tasting samples, and not surprisingly, they didn't get the most enthusiastic response. <laughs> Do you think you would eat insect fat cakes again? Um, I don't think so. <laughs> no? <laughs> but since oh. when has taste mattered to eco-extremists? If they have their way, you'll soon mean scoffing a caterpillar cake <laughs> made with real caterpillars. Never mind, I can't believe it's not butter. I can't believe this is what's being passed off as food. But if you hadn't told them it was made out of insects, yes, exactly. they wouldn't have known, would they?
It's actually a very important source of food. Um, for animals. You know, no, for, for also for humans as well. Um, oh, of course. Well, okay, fine. And it will, and it will you, become you something eat, a lot you more You are made from bugs. Yeah. Yeah. So Thank yours. you. We've eaten yeah, bugs fine. in here. I know. <laughs> we ate proper bugs here. To, by the way, though, to, to prove, Carol, that they're the most revolting form of food I in the world. Oh, my goodness. Well, you're eating anything. utterly revolting. You can make anything taste nice with the right spice. You're like those suits from Chinese restaurants, those little crackheads. Who cares if it's out or it's got an <laughs> Welcome back and breaking tonight. Boris Johnson and his wife Carrie have moved out of Downing Street. The holiday and couple will spend the final weeks of Boris's premiership at Chequers before moving temporarily into the property of a friend, potentially a Tory donor, according to the Daily Mail. The big move comes after a bombshell poll revealed a significant majority of Tories want Boris Johnson to remain as PM rather than step aside for Liz Truss or Rishi Sunak. So this is really telling. Head-to-head -head research from Op, uh, from Opinion, which found that 63% would prefer Boris to stay in number 10, whereas 22% would back Truss. And more than two-thirds would choose the outgoing PM over the Boris backstab official Rishi Sunak, who got the backing of just 19% of the polled members. Now, one man who backs Boris remaining in charge of the country was at the centre of the Chris Pincher scandal that ultimately toppled the PM. Alex Storey, a former Olympic rower and three-time Conservative parliamentary candidate, made allegations of impropriety against the disgraced MP in 2017. But he believes his alleged behaviour was actually a ticking time bomb led by Boris's predecessor. May. And Alex believes Westminster was aware of the allegations swirling around Pinch, which he robustly denies, years before the scandal was weaponised by Tory rebels to undemocratically oust Boris last month. And Alex joins me now. So, Alex, it's fascinating looking at that poll, isn't it? Because what it shows to me is that the Tory parliamentary party may have moved on from Boris Johnson. It doesn't feel like the Tory party members have. Well, if you look at um, the margin of victory between Boris and Jeremy Hunt in 2019, mm. we're actually at the same level of support. So nothing in Boris's uh, popularity has shifted in the last three years. Nothing that's really telling. And also, I think it's really important to realise that uh, Boris didn't actually lose the support of the House. He, vote, he won a vote of no confidence in June 2022, yep. as we know. And there was something of an Italian summer. We've kind of drifted towards an Italian style of republic where we, we like the idea of having a government unelected every 12 months or so. And that's probably due to the weather and the Prosecco on the terraces of the House of Commons where people just lost their minds. Mm. But I think it's, uh, I think it's important to realise that um, in, a, in, in, a, in a, a political party, the membership really does matter. And what we're trying to do is to say to people that uh, there, are, there is a constitutional avenue for Boris to be brought back on the ballot. And we are definitely sure that if he was put back on the ballot, he would win, as the poll suggests. Yeah, so this is the campaign that has been led by Lord Crudis. He is a major Tory donor, of yeah. course. He's met with Boris at Chequers uh, since he announced his intention to step down as Prime Minister. Is there any realistic chance of success here, or is it more about making a point to the party big wheels? Well, usually you start off by making a point, and if your point carries any water, usually you end up to a positive conclusion. I think the, the thing that's been remarkable is two things. The moment that Boris resigned, 
14,000 people wrote directly to central office, according to The Sun, saying that they wanted Boris back. Well, actually, the question that we're all asking is, what the hell do you think you're doing? Um, and so uh, the petition that was started by, by Peter Crudus um, was also telling, because very quickly we got to the number 10,000, which is crucial, because mm. sexual, uh, Schedule 9 of the Conservative Party's constitution says that if over 10,000 people of the, of the membership vote through a petition or propose a, a petition to change the rules, the Conservative Party has to abide by it. So we're not whistling in the wind. We're using the numbers that we receive very quickly. Uh, we're using very strong data because we're clearing out all the names that, uh, of people who are not party members. So the data is rock solid. We have nearly 20,000, twice the number of petitioners who signed. And what we're saying to the Conservative Party uh, leadership is you have to take this into account. And, and what are they saying to you? Well, they say officially that they are, they are being neutral, but it's a very different uh, thing to say that you're neutral and actively work towards being neutral, because actually what we're saying is that we have the numbers, we've got the members, and we've got the, the, the groundswell of opinion that tells us that Boris is still seen as the leader by most people, not just in the Conservative Party, but broadly across mm -hmm. the country. And in fact, I, uh, because I do watch your show, Excellent. And uh, what, I was, what I thought was really interesting was when you went around the country, the straw polls that you, uh, mm. you engaged in were extremely telling. You had people there, when you asked them, Sunak or Liz, they would go, well, Sunak, backstabber, probably Liz. And the moment you said, but well, what about Boris? Mm. Everybody Their eyes spontaneously, lit up. spontaneously, spontaneously yeah. said, we love Boris. And this is the interesting thing. It's a different... He's a different beast operating in a slightly different universe to, to, to your average politician. He is liked. It's very difficult for people outside the political bubble to realize that this man is difficult to dislike. There is a contrived mm. hatred of Boris, and these are the people that you and I might meet uh, in, in uh, posh places yes. in London. And the people who run the media, exactly. we have to admit that. And so, and so uh, uh, the, the, when, when we speak to people outside of this bubble, we realize that Boris is actually a light character. It's not a question of competence, though. For me, it's much more, much more important. The principle of democracy is that we elect a leader that leader has to be judged not by the people in parliament necessarily or in the media bubble it has to they have to be judged by the electorate absolutely a lot of people might say well he lost the confidence of the house but that's not true he didn't lose the confidence no. of the house there is no vote that took place to show that he lost it. In fact, he won the vote of no confidence. Yeah. And on top of that, he lost no yeah. votes at all. And, and the media didn't even accept this for a single second, did they? And when it comes to Pinch, obviously, some a scandal that you, you were uh, very aware of, it didn't matter what it was, was it? They, they were going to find a minor scandal to turn into something that Tory MPs who were always against Boris Johnson yeah. could use. It was death by a thousand cuts. It was, and I think the what, what I hear quite often is that it was the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. But actually, if you think about um, the scandals as they are uh, on, on Boris and the reason why we have the Privileges Committee is trying to cut uh, uh, to essentially stripping out, strip him out of, mm. of the House of Commons. Which is a disgrace. It is a disgrace. Uh, it's essentially trying to, to kill a man whilst he's yeah. down. Liz Truss, by the way, if she becomes Prime Minister, she has to scrap that 
Privileges Committee inquiry, doesn't she? No, but let's hope that she doesn't. I mean, she, I'm sure she's competent, and I'm sure that Sunak, Sunak is competent as well. But that's not what we you want. You still think there's a chance for Boris well, to save Prime Minister? Well, the, the, the point is that... We I mean, are, he's got the moving trucks. He's well, he obviously given Well, well there's, there's, um, th this is one of the things I was going to say to him. I'm reading the, uh, the biography of Henry IV, mm. a very um, obscure king of England. But there is a... Richard II... Uh, exiled him and stripped him of all his lands and he was forced to go to Calais for 10 years and a bishop came to him and said well this you have to come back and fight for your seat and he came back and changed the game and he uh, he became king of England and arrested Richard II who was a terrible king so, so the book says but essentially what I'm saying is that uh, Boris should get that kind of gumption behind him he has the the the, the, the support of the large majority of the Conservative Party membership. He didn't lose uh, uh, the confidence of the House. And in my view, on a, uh, on a, in a, in a, a two-horse race against Keir Starmer, he would win hands down. So he has to remain. We have to tell him that we do like him. We want him to remain as leader. And if he is going to lose the premiership, it's going to be in a fair fight against the, 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 the leader of the opposition. Fascinating stuff. Alex Story, former Olympic rower and Tory parliamentary candidate. Absolute pleasure to have you in the studio tonight. My pleasure. Let's return to tomorrow's news site now on our media buzz. Lots of front pages in my hot little hands. Let's get straight to them. The Guardian leads with government plans to slash redundancy pay while cutting 91,000 jobs in the civil service. The paper claims Whitehall is set for a bitter confrontation with ministers that may result in union-led industrial action. The Eye covers the UK's new COVID vaccine, the first to fight Omicron, as well as the original strain. It also reports the UK needs, quote, months of rain to counter our drought. The Independent leads with doctors raising concerns over the cost of providing COVID boosters. GPs have warned to uh, a cut in government funding means many can no longer afford to offer jabs to patients. I think the demand might be slightly down, if I'm completely honest with you. Uh, the Daily Express lead with a pledge from Liz Trust to fight off bids to split the union and reject Nicola Sturgeon's demand for another Scottish independence vote. Trust said her early years living in Scotland had made her a, quote, child of the union. Of course, uh, that's because the Hustings will be in Scotland tomorrow night. The Daily Telegraph leads with Boris Johnson checking out of number 10 and into checkers for his remaining time in office. He and his wife carry a holiday on a secluded Greek island. The paper also breaks the news that the Royal Navy is backing out of migrant patrols in the Channel, as Nigel Farage mentioned earlier in the show. The Times reports that over 50s to be called for new COVID jabs within weeks as the UK approved that new updated vaccine for Omicron. Elsewhere, the paper says English wineries raising a glass to bumper crops of homegrown fizz thanks to climate change, while we are set to start producing world-class reds that will smash French rivals. My superstar panel return now for the rest of the media buzz. Daily Express columnist Carol Malone, journalist and broadcaster Sam Dowler, and former MEP Belinda De Lucy. To be or not to be woke? That is the question. And for the lovies at Shakespeare's Globe, the answer is a resounding yes. In an essay published on the London Theatre's website by a so-called transgender awareness trainer, what's that? No idea either. Uh, one of England's greatest monarchs, Elizabeth I, who ruled in the distinctly regressive 16th and 17th centuries, is described as non-binary and referred to throughout as they. Author Dr Kit Hayam states Elizabeth I described themselves regularly in speeches as king, queen and prince, choosing strategically to emphasise their female identity or their male 
uh, monarchical role at different points. In a wild swing, Dr. Heyman also claims that dressing in military armour may not just have felt like gendered defiance for Elizabeth, who saw off the Spanish Armada during her 44-year rule, but may have had profound impact on their sense of self. Other academics have reacted with horror. Joan Smith, author of the feminist volume Misogynies, hit out in the Telegraph against, quote, regressive ideology, trying to erase historical female figures, adding... Women and girls are entitled to reject stereotypes without losing our sex. Oh, my goodness, indeed. It comes after this profoundly woke globe, who I'm going to boycott from now on, in May issued trigger warnings that Shakespeare's Julius Caesar contained knives, reimagined venerated resistance fighter and patron saint of France, Joan of Arc, as gender neutral for a production coming later this month. Michelle Terry, artistic director of The Globe, claimed the production is, quote, simply offering the possibility of another point of view. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, this is sinister. When Joan of Arc isn't even safe from woke warriors at Shakespeare's Globe, the war on women is truly out of control, Belinda Deleuze. <laughs> So is. It is much more sinister, though. I find, like, this sort of woke talk sanitises it a bit, as if there's something sort of a bit light-hearted and silly about it. This is a sinister attack, and it only targets women. It only erases female language. It's... it's all the true colours are coming out now. And for strong women to be de-sexed, to, to, to be said that they're not female because they're successful and strong and brave. Their struggle, these historical characters, Elizabeth and Joan of Arc, their struggle entirely almost was sex-based. It is intrinsic to the story. It would be like me saying to a production on Martin Luther King or Nelson Mandela, me as a white woman, <laughs> to, like, explore my journey, I'm going to... I'm going to play Martin Luther King and his fight for, for civil justice. This is how it is so, so um, it belittles everything. We're, we're going to reimagine Mandela and Luther King can, as white Can you men. imagine? And do you know what? All, you know, you know what all the woke, the, the, the liberal leftist little fascists will do. Do you know what they'll do? If I, I suggested yeah. that I could play a black person, they'd call me a filthy white supremacist racist for doing yeah. that. And, and yet they can erase women. They can yeah. destroy our language our historical part. We only have a few women mm. that were able to get through the net in history and they want to take mm. them away from S us S as Sam, well. you were shaking your head during that. Why? Well, I studied Shakespeare at university. I'm sure not everybody on this um, panel has. And, um, no, we're like, stupid, that's we're, why. Because well, we didn't study I totally Shakespeere. Did. But we didn't do it through the... These... Perhaps you are, Carol. Yeah. What I'm saying <laughs> is that... Is no, that I'm being ironic, Ham Sam. Yes, I know, yeah, dear. Yeah. Um, uh, basically, Ham yeah. Hamlet's been played by a woman. King Lear has been played by a woman. Of course, of course he have. And, like, you know, and this, yeah, but this isn't about someone... This about this is about art. This is about art, especially with the Joan of especially with the Joan of Arc. It's like, like at the end of the day, humanity and like non-binary people have been around like since, since I don't the even 1300s. know what that means. How can you, you not be male and it female? It means like, you don't That's necessarily so identify between or, or for either. But you have to have yeah. sexist stereotypes yes, to say and, that. And if you look at the history of Elizabeth I, for example, you know she was the Virgin Queen. Everybody talked about etc. You know, and she and there were quotes about you know her saying you know that she's the King etc. No, she didn't say she was the King. She said the heart and stomach of the King and the King of England. Point, the point is that gender fluidity has been around for hundreds, oh. and th hundreds and hundreds of years. Oh, you know that. It's just we have it's just we have names for it now and and and, and beef about it now. No, because so, they don't pretend they're actually no, women. Men have been dressed also, in frills also, and high also, heels forever, and they didn't say they were actually women. But also, women. history in general is there to be interpreted. No, no, no it isn't. Of course, no, it is. You can't. You can't. You can't change it. You So you know about Shakespeare. What do you know about Joan of Arc? I'll tell you what I know about Joan of Arc. The whole point of her is that she was a woman 
in a man's world, her achievements were all the more extraordinary Your because expert, yes. she was a woman. Because she existed at a time mm -hmm. when women had mm -hmm. no choices, yep. no rights, mm -hmm. no freedoms. Agreed. And the whole point about her Agreed. was that she was a woman. Yeah. So, and this was a 17-year-old peasant girl who actually fought and defeated mm -hmm. the British at Orléans. So, yeah. please, don't say this is a matter of interpretation. This is what <laughs> happened. This is the truth of it. She was not a bloke. She was a woman. No, and such... Sex was, in the time that she lived, in the 15th century, sex was, her sex was the defining characteristic of her. No, because she did these things. No, no one's saying she wasn't a woman. They, yeah. She's being portrayed as a non-binary person in non a play. Can I tell you what's in? A, in a play. Of course, Can I tell you what you Julie Bindell says? Julie Bindell, who I adore, she says, you know how Joanna Park was killed? She was killed as a heretic because she dressed in men's clothes. She says, when a woman is killed, because she breaks the rules about how women should dress and act as decided by men. That makes her a feminist martyr, not a they or them. But, and the, that's but, exactly the, but right. these are suggestions. I'm not I'm not saying I'm not saying it's rewriting history. You, you don't know, and I don't know either. I, I, was, don't know. I wasn't there. You might she have been there, Carol, woman. but I wasn't there. But my but point, you said my point, you said these people existed for centuries. How do you know? Yes, non-binary people just, have, no, they, you, they, you weren't they, there. They have, yeah, I know, but they have people of people of you know intersex. But, you look at look at look at Indian heritage, for example. They've don't have to. I'm looking at trans people, intersex people for hundreds and looking hundreds of thousands of years. Daniel, you're missing the point. You are. No one cares for hundreds of thousands yes. of years. Men have been dressing in frills mm. and women have been dressing in breeches. Yeah. That's completely normal. The yeah. difference is none of them said, I'm the opposite mm. sex or I'm de-sex yes. and you have to believe it or you're a bigot. This is what's but happening this is, now. But this is art. They, this is the play. No, but and it's they, a historical history. But also, you know, Shakespeare didn't write all of those sonnets. So people go back and they look no, at history they're saying with a different, with a different Joan lens. Of Arc, they are look, they are looking at history with a, a different lens and they're everyone's saying, allowed to do that. Or saying maybe Joan of Arc wasn't actually a woman. They can't possibly I mean, know so, that. This is trans extremism, isn't it, from this... I mean, by the way, do you know what a transgender awareness trainer is, Sam? <laughs> well, I can imagine what it is. Dr Kit Hayam. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, this is revisionism. Yes. Trying right, to yes. portray Elizabeth I... No, it's, just, it's suggesting, yes. it's giving another opinion. It's de-sexing a woman again. What, no, you're all you're obsessed saying, with saying, you've all the female. You've all gone on about this today, about freedom of speech, and now you're attacking somebody for having no, freedom of speech. No, this is freedom of speech. Of course, so, they could, so, so they're not allowed... So this, so it's this, what he says, this, it's revisionism. So this, so this person can't say what they want to say. Yeah, they but, can, but, because... But anyone else can say what they want to say. It's simply not true. OK, is it OK if I play Martin Luther King? The hypocrisy, the hypocrisy. No, of course it isn't. Can I play a black? Man who struggles because, about black because, rights. Because, because what you, well, because then you're what a hypocrite. You, because it what you work, and we it? deal with is, 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 is white okay? privilege. No. And Why white privilege is okay? all <laughs> together. You have lost that argument. Why is it not okay for her to play Martin Luther King? Do you, do you really need to explain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, do. I really do. Please, quickly, because it's really fundamental to your argument. Because obviously, Martin Luther King's race was intrinsic to the whole story. Absolutely, these ridiculous faux historians are allowed as much as they want to put out their ludicrous scenarios into the world. Free speech. What I am offended about, though, Sam, is that this is the guardian 
of Shakespeare. This is Shakespeare's glow. And they don't give a damn anymore about Shakespeare's legacy. Do you know what they care about? Being woke. Yeah. And that's it. They, they, and I they, say they, shame on them. No. It's the same as the organisation that was meant to protect Winston Churchill. And they now deride him as a racist. What they want to do this is, is the woke artist, takeover of our relevance. institutions let's in this hope, country. Let's hope Push no one goes relevance. to see it. Let's hope. Let's don't hope, buy the ticket. I guarantee you it'll be, be jam packed every um, night. Unfortunately, it's Carol, they have had the best publicity they could including on this show. <laughs> now, you'd think after his years in showbiz that top TV presenter Rylan Clark would be able to handle snakes, but no, the former X Factor star and celebrity Big Brother winner was a wreck after discovery. A slippery customer thought to be either a harmless grass snake or potentially deadly adder inside his Essex home. And it wasn't just Rylan that was in hysterics. Fans were too, as they watched him appeal for help on Instagram and rope in his mum and celebrity Gogglebox co-star Linda after the reptile went missing. What do I do? Can someone please tell me what do I do? Because I, I, th this is where you shouldn't live alone. I don't know what to do. There is a snake in my house. I repeat, there is a snake in my house and I think I'm going to die. Oh, my God, what is this creature? Will it attack? Please, can someone tell me, will it attack? Oh, it's all right, don't worry. Steve Irwin's on the case. There it is. Oh, I don't know where a snake's got in here. Why would it come in here? It smells nice. To be honest, utterly terrifying. I don't think Ryland was being dramatic at all. Yes, he was. You picked it by the head. No, of the Carol. Let him put it out. It can't get you. Oh, yeah, you would have been so calm. I would have been you calm. Have been I'd, so I'd have been calmer calm than him. I'd have been calm. I wouldn't have been hysterical. Caroline, Sam Dullivan, and Lucy do stand by because coming up is presenting a show tougher than manual labour. Mm. I'll weigh that up as I crown my first greatest British Union jackass at 10.50. But first, why is the government ignoring the shocking number of non-COVID excess deaths in England and Wales after bombarding us with a rolling death toll during the pandemic? Independent number cruncher Jamie Jenkins, aka Stats Jamie, joins me in Uncancelled in just a couple of seconds. First, though, here's what's coming up in tomorrow's show. Coming up on Dan Wooten tonight, should victims of the extreme trans lobby be exonerated by the wider media following the Tavistock expose? One of Britain's top comedy minds, Father Ted creator Graham Linehan, says he never should have been cancelled for criticising the gender clinic. He'll join me live. Plus, as lockdown leaves 10,000 people waiting three months for treatment, cancer battler Linda Nolan teams up with former head of the World Health Organization cancer program, Carol Sakura to break down the shocking stats. Plus, there's opinion galore from political commentator Richard Taylor, top US journalist Megan Kelly, and my superstar panel, media personality Christine Hamilton, conservative commentator Reverend Calvin Robinson, and author and journalist Rebecca Reed. That's Dan Wooten tonight, Monday to Thursday from 9pm till 11pm on GB News. But it's time now for Uncancelled. And this is where Britain's top commentators speak out on controversial issues without the fear of the cancel culture sweeping the rest of the media. In recent months, the ever-impressive Daily Skeptic website, headed by free speech champion Toby Young, has been doing sterling analysis on a mysterious number of non-COVID excess deaths in England and Wales. Other brilliant Mark Stein has also been covering this story, of course. Office for National Statistics figures show some 12,500 Brits have died before their time over the past 14 weeks and they didn't succumb to coronavirus. The alarming trend is unexplained, but hot weather, side effects of COVID vaccines and the after effects of damaging coronavirus lockdowns have all been mooted. 
So today, we asked the Department of Health and Social Care what was behind the death spree, and they admitted. Analysis is ongoing. However, early investigations suggest circulatory diseases and diabetics may, diabetes may be partly responsible for the excess deaths. These latest results emphasise the importance of active management of cardiovascular risk, as there is good evidence many cardiovascular deaths are potentially preventable. Now, cardiovascular issues are a noted side effect of COVID vaccines. And ONS data shows an initial surge in excess deaths amid the spring booster rollout to over 75s in England. It was also revealed today that a massive 236,000 people were admitted to hospital for gout. Yes, that's right, Henry VIII's infamous overeating disease over the last year. That's up 15% over three years after half of Brits put on weight during lockdown. I know how they feel. And in May, a major NHS study revealed that lockdowns were blamed for deaths of more than 3,000 diabetics. So I'm joined now by Statman extraordinaire Jamie Jenkins, the renowned independent number cruncher, to deep dive into these alarming figures. So, Jamie, what's causing these circulatory and diabetes problems that the government fears is partly to blame for these excess deaths? Yeah, even Dan, I think it's probably worth just starting with what excess deaths are. And what you do is you can look at current deaths that are circulating across the country, which the ONS publish every single week, and then compare them to kind of the trends each week that you saw pre-pandemic. And 2022 has been a tale of two halves, actually. We saw deaths below average up to about week 15 of the year. And that's not surprising, Dan, because we've seen a lot of excess deaths through 2020 and 2021. And you can't mm -hmm. die twice. So people who have perhaps would have mm -hmm. died now may have sadly died earlier on in the pandemic. But since week 15, we have been seeing this big rise in excess deaths across the country, at least 10% above average. Now, you talked a little bit about what the kind of the Department of Health has cited for some of these different uh, things. One of the things I'll probably point out is that the excess deaths are among a range of different age groups because I think about a quarter of the excess deaths we've seen at the moment, uh, Dan, at least a quarter, is because the population's ageing. We've got more older people in the population than we had 2015 to 2019, mm. but that doesn't explain all of it. There's still at least no. three quarters that need explaining. Now, we've got excess deaths above average, over 10% now in the age groups, 10 to 14, 30 to 34, 35 to 39, 55 to 59, 60 to 64, and 70 to 75. And I think there's probably a bit of everything that you've mentioned there. We've got missed healthcare is bound to be a factor. We know back in May when they yeah, talked about the these, lockdown kind of, impacts. Yeah, the, lock, the lockdowns and the diabetes checks. And what happened there was, Dan, there was fewer checks being done with diabetes patients. Yes. And it was NHS England's own analysis. This isn't some academics. It yeah. was NHS England's own analysis that cited these excess deaths. And we've yeah. kind of got record A&E attendances at the moment, Dan. Totally. We've seen this vicious circle of things going on and we've no, seen indeed. these excess deaths. Everywhere. And, Jamie, I, I understand all of that. And I also understand that the heat would have contributed a certain number of excess deaths as well. I get all of that. But, Jamie, is the elephant in the room here that we're not talking about enough uh, potential deadly side effects from the COVID vaccine? Well, I think there's a lot of people who will cite that, but I think there's going to be an element, there's probably going to be some of that because obviously we do know now that some people have sadly died after taking the vaccine. The government have mm. asked on their issue compensation themselves. So obviously, if there wasn't the mass vaccine rollout, they would be 
kind of alive and not in the statistics in terms of deaths. So we do know that there's definitely going to be an element of the large number of missed healthcare. I think you've got tomorrow Professor Carol Sakura coming on talking about a lot of the misdiagnosis yes. or delayed diagnosis of cancer patients. That's going to be a factor in there as well. And I think one thing that's not talked about a lot, Dan, is the fact that the health system, you've got a vicious storm here where people can't get GP appointments. They turn up at A&E, they fill the A&E department. And we now know that for the latest figures, Dan, is 13,000 patients in hospital were ready to be discharged. Now, they can't be discharged because there's not enough care in the community. Now, they sacked all those care workers because they wouldn't have a COVID vaccine last year, mm. which has meant that right. there's less care workers out there. Now, those 13,000 patients in hospital, if they were discharged, people in A&E would be admitted into the actual hospital. So you've got this vicious circle of ambulances queuing up outside because they can't uh, admit people. People uh, who can't leave uh, hospital. And this is all government policy. It's yeah. failless here, Dan. And all of this uh, was so predictable and people like you were shouting about it uh, for the past year. Jamie Jenkins, thank you so much. But it's time now to reveal today's greatest Britain and Union jackass. My superstar panel return. Carol Malone, who's your greatest Britain nominee? Nine Salman Rushdie, the man who, after being stabbed 15 times, remains defiant uh, and his sense of humour is still intact. Um, he wrote uh, the Satanic Verses 30 years ago, and ever since that day, he's lived with the threat of death on his head. Um, you know, he's always promoted the belief that, that this is a democracy and no one should be scared to say, think, or write what they feel. And he's still saying it as he lies in his hospital bed. Him, for Brilliant sure. Brilliant stuff. Sam Dowler, your greatest Britain nominee. It's Keir Starmer. Oh. <laughs> he's come up Trump's um, today, in fact, and, um, you know, he said something that really the Tory party should have been saying a long while ago, why they, why they continue to bleat amongst each other. Keir Starmer's saying, actually, there's an actionable plan that people could actually live with and it would make people's lives better in this country. And Belinda DeLucy, your greatest Britain nominee. My greatest honorary Britain uh, award goes to the Afghan women uh, over the last couple of days. They have been protesting yes. um, for their rights to education admit, uh, amidst the, the Taliban firing guns at these unarmed women. They are the, the feminists that we should all look up to, not these crazy liberal feminists in this country that go on about mansplaining and man-interrupting. That is bravery. Yeah. That is courage. Um, they are definitely my greatest honorary Britons. Uh... Well, two good nominees there. <laughs> um, but look, I, I've got to go for Sir Salman Rushdie, Carol's nominee. I think for all of the reasons that Carol mentioned, how incredible that this is a man who is not cowed. Union Jackass time now. Carol Malone, your nominee. OK, mine's Portuguese athlete Ricardo dos Santos. People may remember him. Two years ago, he accused the police with his girlfriend, Bianca Williams, of racial profiling. He was pulled over by cops at the weekend, or the cops tried to pull him over. They didn't know it was him in the car, but they pulled the car because they thought they saw someone on the <coughs> phone. He would not stop, so they had the, flash, the lights flashing. You can see it here. Then the police called for backup because they didn't know what was happening. If someone doesn't stop, this alerts their suspicions. They kept on chasing him for a full five minutes, pulled in front of him. He wouldn't stop. He overtook them. Uh, and when he stopped, he accused them yet again of the racial... He wasn't on the phone as it happened, but, you know, the copper had a, a truncheon ready because he didn't know what was going to meet him inside that car. He didn't know if the person inside was drunk, drugged, had weapons, whatever. Uh, he's saying they were heavily armed. Well, a truncheon is not heavily armed. But the bottom line is, you know, when the cops put their lights on and say stop, I don't care who you are or who you think you are, you stop. You're not immune to the, to the rules that apply to the rest of us. And, Carol, this is the problem, isn't it, with woke policing? Yeah. Because you've got folk like him 
who are so prepared to call out officers yep. simply for doing their job that it makes them afraid to do Dan, their job. Dan, I heard four coppers, four ex-coppers on the phone today saying what that copper did today, bringing his truncheon to the window, was absolute police procedure because you don't yep. know what's going to Remember we saw this with Dawn Butler, too, yep. the Labour MP, yep. who tried to claim she had been racially profiled when, in fact, she was driving in a car with tinted windows. Yes. It's lunacy. Exactly. Sam Dowler, your Union Jackass nominee. It's Boris Johnson. I'm oh. like to keep a theme going here. Oh, on yeah. Holiday, Predictable uh, as ever, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> on holiday again, he's a Prime Minister in absentia. Did you, can he's... I just ask, Sam, did you have an issue with Keir Starmer going on holiday last week? He's just he went, been... He came back with results, though, didn't he? And, no uh, results. And an answer to the problem. With an unworkable Bor policy. Bor okay, so, Boris so... Johnson is, is, as I just said, he's a Prime Minister in absentia. He's doing nothing. He insisted on remaining. Okay, so just to be clear, this is a totally partisan nomination. It's fine for Keir Starmer to go on holiday, but it's not okay for Boris to go on holiday. Boris just wanted to get that on the record. Came back. Boris just anything. wanted Boris to get has, that on the record. Has Boris Sam. said anything about helping our country at all in the last like month? Oh, Sam, Sam I'm sorry. Policy. Can you imagine what the left would say if Boris tried to institute policy at anything. the moment? He's anything would be nice. Minister. We're getting nothing right now. We, we have we have literally a government. Well, Sam, that that's is, what happens when you boot out a prime minister. Exactly. Sam, Belinda De Lucy, exactly. your uh -huh. Union Jackass nominee. This is one of the assiest asses I have ever ever nominated <laughs> in my life before. It is the broadcaster. James O'Brien, and he gets it good and hard this week because <laughs> right. he made an awful comment while sitting on his very generous ass and, and vomiting <laughs> should, his Belinda, shall, shall we have a little look at the, at, at the said Please, clip and I'll get you to it. respond off the back? It's more exhausting than manual labour than your job is, if you're listening to me on a building site now, as long as no one's put a brick through the radio yet. You could not do what I do for, three, for eight hours a day but you can do manual labour for eight hours a day. And, and let's just say that we'd be equally tired at the end of the shift. What Hi. a cretinous, arrogant so-and-so. And Belinda DeLucy, do you know what I'm actually so delighted about yeah. with that moment? He has exposed himself. Oh, it's wonderful. This and, is a man and, and, on and, over and 300 people should year. just start switching off, Belinda, right? Yes, I hope so. It was atrocious, but very revealing. And you've got these manual labourers on, like, £11.90 <laughs> an hour. He's sitting on... Carol, quickly, what do you think? The thing with O'Brien, though, he tries to intellectually defeat yeah. the people who and, and come on his... his he tries to humiliate he them does. with his intellect, he does. which is well, look, very... It's got to be James O'Brien. Yes, Tonight's yes. Union Jackass, a clear win for Belinda to Lucy Belinda, <laughs> so great to have you back. Thank you too to Sam Dowler and Carol Malone, tonight's fabulous superstar panel. I'm back again tomorrow night from 9pm. Headliners up next though. Good night. Dan Button here again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of my podcast, Uncancelled. Did you like what you hear? Well, remember to subscribe, rate and review and join me for more newsmaking interviews, fiery debate and free speech on Dan Button tonight every Monday to Thursday from 9pm till 11pm on GB News. <laughs>